Hello, I'm Amy Stevenson, and this is The Human CEO. In each episode, we'll be meeting with CEOs and senior leaders to understand their approach to leadership, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame them. We'll also be asking what they feel it takes to be a great leader. For me, it's and what I found at Saffron, it really is the individuals that create the culture of the organisation. I think it's to listen to people, to, to really understand where they're coming from, um, and, and to manage accordingly, really. Welcome to The Human CEO. I'm your host, Amy Stevenson, and today I'm joined by Sarah Smart. Sarah is the CEO of Saffron Sheffield, Sheffield Women's Counselling and Therapy Service. Sarah has over 15 years experience of working in leadership posts across the charity sector and has a passion for seeing women's lives transformed. Sarah joins us today to share her insight as a leader and a human CEO. Thank you for joining us today, Sarah. It's great to have you with us. Thank you. Really good to be with you. I'm looking forward to speaking with you. And and so can you tell us a little bit about Saffron, the organisation that you lead and what you're working towards and what you stand for, please? Certainly, yeah. So Saffron is a Sheffield-based charity Mm -hmm. and we work to serve and help um, by providing specialist free long-term therapy for women who have been through any form of trauma. So that may be um, sexual abuse or violence as a child or an adult, domestic abuse as a child or an adult. Um, It could be trafficking, um, drug abuse. It could be, um, and even something like a serious car accident, anything where um, a woman has suffered any kind of trauma, we offer free long-term therapy. Wow. And you've been there for just over a year now as Chief Executive? Yeah, a year last week. Yes, yeah. Happy anniversary. And and, and so as the leader of that kind of organisation, what are the biggest challenges that you're up against at the moment? Yeah, I think there's two um, two main ones. First one being the need. So COVID has created an increased need for such um, situations for women. So, um, you know, you can read the stats about increasing domestic abuse um, and sexual violence within the home while, while the lockdown was on. Um, COVID itself has created a lot of trauma. We're just now starting to hear statistics around healthcare workers and NHS staff okay. um, who are suffering PTSD after coming out of lockdown and trying to get back into work, even even doctors. So, you know, the higher level healthcare workers um, are really struggling. Um, and there is always, we've always had more of a need than capacity. So our waiting list is is always very large. Um, we, we actually operate on a closed waiting list. So um, we actually only open when we can offer a, sh- a shorter waiting list as possible. Um, and we're due to open in, a, in just a few weeks time. And we already know we could potentially have 200 250 women um needing needing therapy so um that's increasing year on year over the last few years um so and that's not just for us that's common in other charities like us but also in the nhs itself um capacity is just a real struggle for the need um and then the second one which i think many other uh charity leaders would agree with is fundraising so yeah. we're in a peculiar time come out of lockdown war in europe um not sure it's quite difficult to ask people for financial help when you know people are facing not being able to pay their bills mm-hmm. um so fundraising is is a struggle um during during covid there was a lot of um funding available we were able to to double our income during the covid mm-hmm. times um but because we've doubled our income, we now need to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to increase our fundraising. So, so it's a challenge. 
Um, so I think those are the two, the need and, and the, the capacity and then also the funding. Yeah, absolutely. And is it self-referral then or does it come through? It is, yeah. So whilst we will can be signposted, so a number of our women are signposted by their GPs. We have really good relationships with local GPs and other services um, such as you know, IAPT and other government mm -hmm. services, local authority services. So they will um, refer into our, uh, signpost into us, but the women actually have to self-refer. So because we're, we're a planned piece of work and we can offer up to 40 weeks of therapy um we need the women to be ready for it so we're not an emergency service mm -hmm. um if someone isn't quite ready if they're not quite out of their journey and they're not ready to move on uh, we'd probably suggest that they did something else in the meantime until they felt that they were um mm -hmm. so when a woman comes to us she needs to be ready to move on um because it's a lot of work so okay. a big yeah. ask yeah yeah and and how did you find Saffron then? I mean, could you tell us a bit about your journey to chief exec with, with Saffron? Yeah, certainly. So I've been in the um, <coughs> charity world for most of my career, actually, almost two decades, um, giving away my age there a little bit. Um, but I've, And I always felt that um, potentially there was capacity and potential in me for a chief exec role or, or a director, director role. Mm -hmm. um, I was always told when I was growing up that I was bossy and loud and I thought you know that's quite I like to call that now assertiveness and um confidence is how Absolutely. I'd like to put that um Absolutely. but you know there's not uh, in the kind of area where I was actually when I left school I became a hairdresser because it was I had to get a job and and, mm -hmm. and do those things but then some doors opened up to me um actually whilst I was part of a church and and I got opportunity to get involved in some things and and mm -hmm. and start to lead some things um, then I went to work um, for a charity based in Thailand on the Thai-Burma border yeah. um, and working in relief and development. Mm -hmm. um, and from there, I then, is, 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 this is over a number of years, so it's a bit of a potted quick history. Um, I returned to the UK to start the UK office of that charity um, mm -hmm. to bring fundraising and to start. I love marketing. I love comms. It's a natural kind of gift I had. So I thought I'd put it to good use. Um, and so I actually spent nine years building up um, a relief and development charity in the UK, uh, fundraising and comms. And it was whilst I was there, really, I had a really fantastic board of trustees um, who saw potential and really invested in me. Um, they helped me to get my degree, which I've got a degree in charity management. So that they allowed me to do that and actually helped fund it whilst I was working. Um, and so they were really brilliant. I learned a lot from them. Um, and then I was able to step into different kind of roles. And so 14 years later, um, from starting in kind of leadership, I took on a CEO role, which was, it was quite a, a journey to get to that, really. I'd wanted to find that kind of a role for a while, but there was always something that when I interviewed, there was always something that I was lacking and it was always something different in each interview. So, um, you know, some people, depending on the charity, different people wanted different things. And it began to get, I got quite low because it was a bit, well, how do I get that experience mm -hmm. on my CV? How do I get that experience unless people give me the opportunity to do yep. so? Um, and actually it was via a friend. A friend had received the pack, the recruitment pack for the Saffron role. Um, and she just passed it on to me. She said, this isn't for me, but it might be for you. And I read it and I almost didn't apply because I thought, oh, I just don't want to be disappointed again. Well, you know, and it was like, sometimes it's, it was, I'd got to that point really um, where it's like, is it, is it worth it? Is this, is it time to change? But here I am, you know, I got the role, um, really thrilled. It was a fantastic, best interview I've ever had. It was brilliant. Um, 
and yeah just I got the role and it's been quite a journey I have to say the last year um so, so it wasn't was it always the plan to to end up in a chief exec seat or is it just that you found a sector that you're particularly passionate about and yeah well I think it I think it was always a plan I like I like the leadership role um mm. I like management I like I, I wanted that kind of a role and I was you know director of Previously, I'd taken two lower director roles where I still um, reported into a CEO, um, but I always thought I could do that. I could do that. And I, I like um, I like working for something that I can really believe in. So there were some roles that I didn't go for simply because I thought I can't get passionate about that mm. cause. Yeah. Um, and I was very passionate about international development. Um, and I always say, if you're passionate about your job, you never work a day in your life. You know, it's, it's, it's what you live for. Um, and I wanted something that I felt similar to that. I actually um, stopped working in international development because I got married um, and decided I needed to settle in the UK rather than, you know, hop around the world all the time, um, yeah. which I do miss, but hey-ho. Um, so I began to look for similar causes here in the UK. So I only really applied um, for jobs that I really believed in the cause. Yeah. And when I read about what Saffron does and I could see the results um, and you know you hear the stories and the feedback from the women that that have our support it's incredible it's life-changing mm. and you know for me it's just such a privilege to be able to lead a charity I'm not clinical I'm not medical mm -hmm. um, but it, to see what can be done it's such a privilege to lead a charity that does such brilliant work yeah absolutely so how do you define a great leader are the characteristics that you think all great leaders should have or is it case by case I think probably a bit of both. I think um, the non-profit world is very different to the commercial business world. There will be different goals, different focuses. Um, but I imagine in terms of leadership characteristics, I think what's really important to me is to be approachable and friendly. Um, I don't want to be any kind of boss that people are frightened to talk to or, or don't want to approach. Um, I think you need to be a decision, decisive decision maker, be, be, be ready to... Um, stick to what you decide and have a good reason for making those decisions, which isn't always an easy, easy thing to do. Um, I think you need to be a very good communicator, which I imagine goes, it goes across the board mm -hmm. um, and resilience. My word for the year has really been how to, to build resilience in my own life. Um, but also for the charity as well. Yeah. So having said that, I think, yeah, they're probably characteristics that should be in any, any good leader, I would yeah. think. Yeah, especially the re resilience with what we've just been through with the uncertainty. Absolutely. Everyone's yeah. facing at the Hard moment. work. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not for the faint-hearted. <laughs> <laughs> and so you mentioned that you didn't want to be the kind of leader that people were afraid to approach, but in terms of your leadership style, was there an experience or a piece of advice that someone offered you earlier on in your career that shaped that, that sense of style? Yes, I think so. So I, I feel like I'm quite a collaborative leader. Um, I think people are really important. Um, and something that I actually read in a book um, was that you're never going to be in complete control of what's going on around you, but you are in complete control of how you react mm -hmm. to what's mm -hmm. going on around you. And I think um, that's been so important. I've had to remind myself of that a lot. I'm an overthinker. Um, I take things to heart. Um, you know, it's very difficult sometimes just to take that step back and say, you know, how do I control my response to this? Because I can't control the actual circumstances. Uh -huh. So I found that to be really, really helpful. 
Great, thank you. Mm. And, I th- and I think that's that's kind of how lots of people got through the pandemic when we didn't know Absolutely. what was coming around the corner. I remember yeah. I had yeah. a little sign on my office wall that said tiny little wins. You just got to keep taking one step. Yeah. Because it was a long long time one day at a time yeah absolutely absolutely yeah really difficult and and so thinking about people that might be hoping to follow in your footsteps or have just taken a step up in a leadership role what kind of advice would you offer them are there any sort of if i knew them what i know now moments yeah i think there's two things actually that really stuck out in my mind as i was thinking about the last year and the first first thing is to be self-aware know your limits Mm -hmm. um i think it would have it was very easy to go in and start to make changes and to start the ball rolling on a number of different things just to make your mark and to to prove that your, you know, imposter syndrome kicks in, so you need to prove yourself. Yeah. Um, but I just think really one, one step at a time, know, know your limits, be self-aware, ask for help and always keep learning, I think. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to ask for help even from, from, you know, people that are your employees, people that maybe because um, you just never know where some good advice is going to come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also, I think, you know, in terms of people, uh, the other thing I've learned in this role, which has been different in, uh, in other roles I've done, but uh, management tools and processes and uh, such things only take you so far. Um, for me, it's I know what I've found at Saffron, it really is the individuals that create the culture of the organisation. And... Um, I think it's to listen to people, to to really understand where they're coming from, um, and and to manage accordingly. Really, um, obviously, with the CEO, the buck stops with you. Mm-hmm. You're always going to be the one. You know, that's you're the line where where that line is drawn. But if you can engage others in to decision making, if you can talk with people to see how they feel and make sure you're not just a lone horse driving forward, I think, I think you'll find it a much more enjoyable journey because um, mm-hmm. you won't feel so alone. Because it's yeah. quite a lone, it's quite a lonely role. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's about for me very much. It's about it's about the people and in investing in people. Absolutely. Yeah. And so. Thinking about people from your past and famous leaders, past or present, famous or otherwise, do any leaders particularly stand out to you that have either shaped your leadership style or had an influence on you? Yes, I think so. So um, I mentioned earlier my board of trustees from the Relief and Development charity that I worked for, and they were all really brilliant and encouraging. Um, One in particular um, was, and he is also now a CEO of a mental health charity, um, but just in the tent, he was he was really knowledgeable. He'd had a lot of experience, um, probably could be working in a role that paid 10 times as much in salary, um, but really focused in on, on what he, he was doing and was incredibly warm, generous, kind, um, always there. And I just felt like, you know, to be a, a leader like that and be unlikable. And I think that's really important. Um, so, yeah, I think people like that that I've met along the way that I mean I, I could come up with a famous world leader or somebody like but I just think for me it's been people I've met on life's path mm-hmm. who have inspired me here and there whether it be someone who's a trustee or whether it's a refugee in a, a, a refugee camp who's leading their people to a you know it's it's yeah. it's that kind of thing people inspire me for different reasons I think fantastic brilliant thank you and and so i'm always also really interested in what leaders are reading or consuming so be it a podcast or an audiobook or an actual old school book what yeah. kind of what kind of books would you recommend to people that are either looking to follow in your footsteps or other leaders that might be listening to the podcast 
For sure. Yeah. So I, um, when I first got the role, I looked for every possible book plan. What do you do in your first year as a CEO? You know, all this kind of stuff to try and, and just get as prepared as possible. Some stuff was brilliant. Other stuff, you know, you just leave behind you. But one, um, I think he's a self-published author. He's called Byron Morrison. Um, and he's, I think he's a bit of a motivational speaker. He writes really, um, really colloquially, really easy mm -hmm. to read. And he, he's done two books. And the first one I got was The Effective CEO, uh, which is about honing your focus, prioritizing your time, working out, you know, what do you focus on? What do you do not focus on? So I think that's a really difficult mm -hmm. thing. So easy. And in our world as well, I mean, uh, even this morning, I've, I've just told you earlier, but, you know, we've got a water leak in our building and that's something that can be so easily distracted in when I'm trying to work on strategy or, or budgets. Yeah. Um, and it's just things like that, that. And he really gives some really wise advice into how to plan your time, how to schedule your time on daily, monthly, yearly, in yearly ways. And he doesn't just talk about it. He actually gives you really good tools to do it. So it's, it's called The Effective CEO from Byron Morrison. Brilliant. Um, and he's then the second one I bought of his, is which I haven't quite got to yet it's it's there on my desk it's called think like a ceo and it's about the, the resilience side of things again and so he talks about how to stop reacting get out of your own head and take control of your role and i think you know again as ceos we're, we're quite um we can be quite resilient but also i think we're quite vulnerable as well and we can take things to heart and and it's quite easy to see anything that perhaps could be seen as not so positive personally and it's about how you how you get that out of your head from that and I think that's it's a really really I think I think it's going to be a really good book yeah okay. so they're highly they're highly recommended I'll take a look at those thank you yeah and, and so tell us a little bit about what's coming around the corner for, for Saffron over the next six nine twelve months and how people can get involved with those fundraising events and, and brilliant yeah so um when I first started, I began work on a three-year strategy to start this April, mm -hmm. um, simply because we had had lockdown. We were so when lockdown happened, we went completely virtual um, mm -hmm. in terms of therapy. So we started to do therapy online, which had never been done before. Mm -hmm. um, so there was talk about how do we return back to normal after lockdown and COVID. We didn't stop our service; we just changed how we did it. Mm -hmm. um, so around last July, August, uh, just after I first started, we began face to face again. We started doing different things with our building. Um, and so I realised we needed a, a bit more of a focused plan. And especially because we'd also not only doubled our income during COVID, we'd doubled our staff and we'd doubled our okay. clientele. Mm -hmm. um, so everything just exploded, which is brilliant, but you have to be sustainable. Yeah. So our plan for the next three years is to find a way to be sustainable at that level, at the level we are now mm -hmm. within the third year, then looking at what's the next growth steps. Um, but I just felt we, we just needed to settle. We needed to settle back to face to face, settle back into the routine of, of what Saffron is mm -hmm. uh, before we started to look for any more growth. Yeah, fantastic. Mm. And so, yeah. so what's going to be happening from a fundraising point of view? How do you, how do you gather funds? So uh, this is so part of the, sh the plan actually is to diversify our income streams. So we have been so Saffron has been I, I don't think I've mentioned this, but Saffron's been going for 30 years mm -hmm. uh, in Sheffield. Um, and 
majority of fundraising over those years has been trust and grant fundraising, okay. uh, whether individual trusts or with the NHS or local government. Um, and so one of the things I'm going to do is diversify this. So we started to do some more events. We did a bucket collection at the Sheffield Wednesday match a few weeks ago, which was brilliant. That was a lot of fun. Um, we're looking at other ways of raising money. We want to look into regular giving, um, charity events. Some of our ex-clients actually like to do sponsored charity events for us to raise money because they feel like then they're helping mm -hmm. someone else who is in their situation. So we do have a, a great website with lots of information on. So that's Saffron Sheffield. Um, .org.uk. So if people have, want to have a look on there, if anyone wants to get involved with fundraising, you can drop me an email, sarah.smart at saffronsheffield.org.uk um, and we can have a talk about it. But um, we're kind of just trying to find our feet in some in new ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Sarah, for sharing your story and for joining us on the podcast. It's been oh, great. you're so welcome. It's really nice to meet you. 